Let's pray. Father God, we give to you our hearts and our minds right now. May they be yours. Places where your spirit lives and guides. Lord God, we give to you praise for your word given to us. As we read through it, Lord, we pray that you would apply it to our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'll give you a secret today, okay? Everybody loves secrets, don't they? Have you ever found that living life as a Christian can be difficult? It really presents its own set of challenges, doesn't it? When we really live out our faith, it sets us apart from the rest of the world. It sets us apart from the people we go to work with, to school with, even very often in our own families. It sets us apart. We, we just won't or can't join into their reindeer games, can we? When we live for Christ, the world will not like it. John chapter 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is Jesus speaking, right? They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If we just went along with the world, things would be easier, wouldn't they? We wouldn't have to endure that hatred. But there's a conviction we lived with, we live with, isn't there? An urging of the Spirit of God that pushes us to live for Him no matter what the consequences might be. But that never seems to make the consequences any easier, does it? So as these consequences come upon our lives for living out our Christian faith, how do we deal with it? Do we just give up? Because it's too hard. Stop sharing our faith in our soil, in that sphere of influence lives that we have. Do we join in with them? Do we lose our witness of Christ lived out in our lives because it's just easier to do it that way? In our passage today, we're going to see persecution and challenge to Saul's Christian walk everywhere that he goes. And yet by the end of this passage, we find the church prospering. How? How, how do Christians persevere through persecution? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 23. Acts chapter 9, verse 23. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Acts 9.23 says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. So we learned about Saul back in earlier in chapter 9 in verses 23 through 31 uh, um, verses 19 through 22 excuse me sorry uh, how Saul began to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ boldly didn't we how he grew in strength and he grew in his apologetics his ability to fend for the gospel and speak the truth and and people couldn't argue with him he took this newfound faith that he had out into the world didn't he right away He was following through on that call that we all have in our lives, that that Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Who will be his witnesses in this world? You. Some of us are saying, anybody but me, right? No, you shall be my witnesses, Jesus says. Here in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? Matthew 28, 19, go! into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. We're all called to this, aren't we? Just as Paul, just as Saul was. And as he does this, as he goes out into the world, we find that in our passage, the whole world fell in love with him, right? That's what people feel when they want to kill you. Love. Did you see the persecution of Saul in in this passage? Not only from those outside the church, but he also ran into a wall when he came to the disciples in Jerusalem, right? They were keeping him at arm's length. We don't believe you, is what they said. Challenged from both outside and inside the church. In our short passages, we see two plots to kill him, and then the disciples keeping him at bay. Through all of this, through the perse- persecutions and the challenges, how is it that Paul keeps going and the church keeps growing? Look at verse 31 with me. It says the church, it was being built up and it multiplied, right? So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How does the church, how do, how do you and I endure trials and tribulations of this life to continue on with a boldness that leads to thriving, vital life here in the church amongst the body? How is it? I think this key, this secret we're going to learn today is found in verse 31. They were walking in two things, weren't they? They were found walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
We discussed the fear of the Lord some weeks ago as we were going through Acts, and we found that a greater fear trumps a lesser fear, doesn't it? If I fear rabid dogs more than I fear heights, I'll gladly climb a ladder to get away from the rabid dogs, right? Makes sense. I fear them more than I fear heights. If we truly fear God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who gave his only son for our salvation. We will be absolutely fearless in this world. For there is nothing greater to be feared. The more we fear God, the less we will fear the world. Jesus gets to this point in Matthew chapter 10, 28, when he says, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear God, not the world. God is sovereign, not the world. Proverbs 1, 7 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We don't even begin to grasp wisdom and knowledge in this world until we begin to fear the God who created it, the God who laid down its foundations. Fear, knowledge, wisdom, understanding are all closely tied together. To know God is to fear him. Let's take a minute to to just meditate on him and do this at home on a regular basis considering who God is. We often pray to God in order to get what we want or or the things we see and how we think things should be, right? He is not a God to be manipulated. Not that it's wrong to pray for things we need, but I just want to remind us that he is not a God to be manipulated. He is not a God to be boxed up and convenient. He doesn't work on our terms. We do not control him. He's not a passing fancy. He will not go away just because we ignore him. He's not a choice in any way, but he is the reality. He created the reality in which we sit right now. He is the creator. He is the one who holds all things together. The one whose wrath is being revealed from heaven. The one who disciplines his children. The church, his children. Yes, he will discipline. Yes, we are to fear him. This discipline was, well, this, this fear of discipline was fresh in the minds of the early church as we look back at chapter 5 of Acts and we see Ananias and Sapphira who were struck down. God disciplines those he loves. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We are utterly dependent upon him, are we not? As God came down on Mount Sinai, with thunder and clouds and trumpet sound, descending upon it in fire, complete omnipotence under perfect control. 
That is God. Moses, at that moment, has one of the best statements about fear as Israel cowers. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear. In the face of all this, do not fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. When we know the God who controls the thunder and the lightning, when he is our God and our Father, who or what else is there to fear? When we know the one who laid the foundations of the earth, the one who is willing to give up his son for our salvation, who or what else is there to fear? I've read it to you before, and I will read it again. I will read it over and over and over again. We should never get tired of hearing these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Walking in the fear of God with an understanding of of who he is and a love for him, an adoration of him as we realize his immense love for us. This kind of fear gave the early church, all the disciples, Saul himself, a boldness in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. But while boldness is good and and the the strength gives us the ability to do what God has called us to, that fear of God doesn't remove the challenges, the trials, and the hardships, does it? It doesn't cure the frustrations, the exhaustion that, that pursues us as we try to live for Christ. It does not soothe the pain of tribulation, does it? It keeps us going, it gives us strength, but it doesn't, it's not a balm. So God gives us not only a wondrous fear of him, but also the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What is this comfort of the Holy Spirit? Some of us are thinking, I could sure use that today. 
as our comforter. This phrase applies to the Spirit and, and how he works in our lives in a lot of different ways. He prays for us. When we don't know what to say, when we're just at a loss for words, the Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26-27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the mind, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit teaches us, John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit prays for us, the Spirit teaches us, and he seals us. We are sealed by the Spirit, aren't we? That we would have surety, that we would have security in our salvation. Our salvation cannot be lost. For it was never dependent upon us. It was never dependent upon me in the first place. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this list can go on and on and on and on. All the ways that the Spirit lives in us, helps us, sees us through. There is a peace in the Christian life because of the Spirit that abides within us, that lives inside of us, God himself. But in this passage that we read today, I think we can see one very predominant way that the Spirit intends to bring us comfort as his church. Verse 23 to 25. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So there's a plot on Saul's life. But what happens? But his disciples, this is verse 25, his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall. There's a plot to kill, and his disciples intercede. They intervened. 26 through 28, different kind of trial, isn't it? We see that the Jerusalem disciples do not believe that Saul is actually a disciple of Christ, that he actually believes. And they're holding him out. They're not letting him join them because they don't trust him. But what happens? Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he approached boldly in the name of Jesus. They don't believe him, but Barnabas intercedes, he intervenes, he comes in, steps up. Verses 29 through 30, there's another plot to kill Saul. But what happens? Says the brothers. The brothers step in and they take care of him, don't they? Plot to kill, the disciples intervene. He's not trusted, Barnabas intervenes. Another plot to kill, the brothers intervene. The Spirit of God brings us comfort by drawing us into a family, into a fellowship centered on faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me reiterate. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here we are, a body of Christ, unified in one faith, in one Savior, by one Spirit that lives in each and every single one of us. We hold that in common if we hold nothing else. As, as the body of Christ, we are called to share one another's burdens, to care for one another, to be those who step in and step up and take care of one another, who save each other from those plots that the world should produce against us, to forgive one another as we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ completely, selflessly, with a perfect humility. It's hard to do, but, but passage after passage in the New Testament refers to that agape, that, that unconditional love that we are called to in the body of Christ in order to build one another up, in order to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 to 25 says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, think about, how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It was this fellowship of believers that had come around Saul it was that fellowship of believers, it was because of them that, that Saul was able to endure the persecution and continue his ministry. After being persecuted, verse 28, it says, so, after Barnabas steps in for him, he says, it says, verse 28, so he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Because of what Barnabas did, he was then able to continue his ministry. It was because of this fellowship of believers that the church had peace and growth. Verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It was because of the fellowship of the believers, that comfort, 
of the body that the Holy Spirit draws us together in. So, here at Alden Union Church, here in this body of believers, each and every one of us, do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Do we fear God more than anything else in this world? When, when, when we understand who He is and what He's done for us, and then we apply that to our lives, are we doing that everywhere we go, in everything we say, and everything we do? When we come to that point of fear, of sharing Christ with our neighbor, and we start to step back and we feel our hearts, we got to think about the God who gave us that call to share. Is he not greater than that little tiny neighbor next door? Is he not the one who laid the foundations of the earth? Did your neighbor do that? Oh. At least my neighbors didn't. This fear should have a vast application in our lives giving us a boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel, giving us a strength in the midst of adversity. Do we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? See, walking in the fear of the Lord, we can go out of here and we can say, okay, pastor, I'll, I'll go and do that, and we go home, and that's kind of a private thing, if I fear God or not. But the walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, this, this walking with the body, that's not something I can hide. Because I can't do that without you. We can't do that without each other, can we? Do we maintain the fellowship to which we've been called? Intentionally seeking ways to build each other up to encourage one another, ways to share life on life, ways to love one another. Centered on our walk with Jesus Christ. See, this church has been around for over a hundred years, hasn't it? Some of your grandparents built this place, right? It's plenty of time for people to be hurt and to hurt one another, isn't it? If you've been here for a year, you might have been hurt by somebody. Plenty of time to break spirits, to bruise hearts. Be honest with yourself. We've all been hurt, haven't we? Are we ready for reconciliation? Are we ready to take those hurts one to another? To, to love each other as we have been loved by Jesus Christ. This is the hard stuff. Are we ready to forgive one another as we have been forgiven? Consider the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. No matter how great, no matter how big your sin might be, it's forgiven in Jesus Christ. 
Are we ready to offer that to each other? That this church would have the comfort that the Holy Spirit has called us to, has brought us to, in one another. Who will be the first Ananias of chapter 9 who came up to, to Paul and said, Brother Saul, brother, not just hey you, or I don't like you because you've been persecuting the church, but I'll do what God told me to do anyways. Brother, who will be the first Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to come up alongside and say, yeah, he was a bad guy, but now he's changed completely. He's sharing his faith. Come on, join alongside and let him be a part of the fellowship. He's repentant. Right after he had been breathing threats and murder against the church, these men stepped up to build up the rejected. To stand up for that brother or sister with a soiled past. Because the church is full of damaged goods, isn't it? I'm one of them. We've all been there. Perhaps most of us still are in some way or another. We need confession in the church. The freedom and the transparency to do so with one another without being condemned. If Christ doesn't bring an accusation, who am I? If Christ doesn't condemn, who am I? We need the restoration of Christ-centered relationships and a love for one another that saves lives. When not too long before, that same person was breathing those murderous words. We need the walls torn down and life on life built up. If we want to see this church in revival, let's break down those walls. If we want to see the church walking boldly into our community, growing in strength, let's be the people that we can each lean upon. When we go to our neighbor and we say, I tried to share with them and they just threw it back in my face and we go to our brother and our sister and we say, I need to share with you. It was disappointing to me. If we want to see peace and growth here in this body, let's walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let me offer us a couple of applications. First, if you have somebody that you need to talk to, a relationship that needs restoration, don't put it off. Go to them humbly, repentantly. Go to build them up. Seek their forgiveness. If you know there's somebody you have hurt intentionally or unintentionally, I did not mean to hurt you, but I'm so sorry that I did. See, oftentimes we stand there and we say, I didn't mean to hurt them, so, hey, it's not my problem. Right? 
No, it is our problem because we're called by one spirit to be one body and not let these things stand between us. Let's make sure we go to each other. This isn't the easy stuff, but it's the real stuff of the Christian walk. The stuff we do by the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive in us. We don't want to be a dead church. We want to be a live one, a reviving one. So let me give you a second application. Make sure you find a place, find some people to share your Christian life with. We're trying to get a small groups ministry up and going here at Alden Union. And and we have some really great theology happening here, don't we? There's lots of places to go here on this campus and hear some great teaching about the Word of God, isn't there? Right after this, we're going to have Bible school. Go! Gain that knowledge. Gain that understanding through Scripture. It's vital. It's necessary. It's significant to your Christian walk. But we need the places where we can each make those life-on-life connections, don't we? Not where we just share the weather, but where we can feel safe to share what is going on in our lives and have biblical, Christ-centered conversations about it. Praying for one another through these times. Encouraging and building each other up, stepping in and standing up for one another. If you are willing to start a small group, a group of 8 to 14 people, a group that meets in a personal space. Not here. This isn't it. I wouldn't call this a small group, would you? Pretty good-sized group. But if you're willing to start a small group, a group that meets in a personal space, look, look at Acts chapter 2. Go ahead, flip there. Acts chapter 2. It's just a few chapters over. Don't worry, I'm almost done. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, amen, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They were coming together in fellowship, big fellowship, hearing from the word of God, and they were going into each other's homes, into those personal spaces, and sharing life, sharing food. Something very special about sharing food, isn't there? We need these things. We need this fellowship. If you're willing to start a group, come talk to me. Let's get these small groups going so that we really start to gain ground on this life and life, this one anothering, this love. Let's get working on the comfort that the Holy Spirit provides for us through the one anothering of the fellowship of the body of Christ. That we would all be able to persevere for Christ through the hardships, through the trials, the persecution that this world would offer to us that the church would thrive and have peace through the persecutions and the challenges that the world gives us as we live out our faith. Let's pray.
Father God, we praise you for your grace and your love in teaching us to fear you in your greatness, in teaching us some amount of who you are through your word, that we would know the fear of our God, our creator. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the comfort at the same time that you give us through your Holy Spirit, the comfort as you draw us together as a body, as you give us this fellowship. Lord, help us to to walk in it, to take advantage of it, to, to be with each other, to love each other. Give us the strength, Lord, we pray, to do the the real stuff, the hard stuff, the good stuff of this walk that you've given to us in your Son. We pray in his name. Amen.